Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Welcome to Willpower. With the first African-American and first woman to hold the register of Will's office in the city of Philadelphia, the Honorable Tracy L. Gordon, a mother, an educator, and community leader. When there's a will, your family keeps the power. This show will set the discourse for your family to plan for the future and extend the family legacy. Call your family and friends and tell them to tune in for a journey into their generational wealth. And now, ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome Madam Register, the Honorable Tracy L. Gordon. Hello, Philadelphia. This week is episode 16, Willpower. And this week, we're going to talk about a topic that really gets a lot of traction when I'm on the road teaching about the importance of making wills, and that's common law marriage. This week, I have my solicitor with me, Attorney Frank Capizzi. Good morning, Frank. How are you? Good morning, Madam Register. How are you? I'm fine. Frank, you know, we get these cases. Sometimes they're really sad. They come in front of us. In the hearing room, common law marriage, and it's a topic of much surprise. When I attend events and speak about my office, not only does my office handle probate and wills, but we also handle the marriage licenses and marriage record. So today, Frank and I, Attorney Capiz, and I will be demystifying some misconceptions around common law marriage here in the state of Pennsylvania. So let's get started with the basics. Since January 2nd of 2005, the county or the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania abolished common law marriage. Many people hold the common misconception that if a man and woman live together for a certain number of years, they are common law marriage or commonly married. Again, this is not the case in Pennsylvania. To establish a common law marriage in Pennsylvania, both spouses must have capacity and the present intent to enter into a marriage. So, Frank, let's talk about what they mean when they say capacity. Well, Madam Register, when we use the word capacity here in Pennsylvania, and again, as you mentioned, uh, common law marriage does not exist in the state and has not existed since January of 2005. That's going on 19 years now. So there are cases where we can prove a common law marriage if the couple had the capacity back before January of 2005 to be in what we considered a common law marriage back then. So that capacity would mean that they were obviously unmarried. They could not be married to someone else and then argue that they have a a second common law marriage. They have to be at least 18 years of age. And what we used to consider in Pennsylvania is the intent to enter into a marriage. So each spouse has to, in essence, exchange that vow, right? I take you as my uh, spouse, and their intent is what is most important to us when we're hearing these cases as to whether we grant that common law marriage petition. So when you say those words to each other, you hold that um, concept out there, you have the capacity, you understand what it is you're doing, and you've entered into that quote-unquote, common-law marriage willingly. Okay, and so at that time when we 
at Common Law Marriage in Pennsylvania. Uh, another uh, prerequisite was they had to be of the opposite sex, right? Right. So correct. Talk back about then, that. Yes, correct. Talk about well, that. Back, back in 2005, uh, the country. Uh, let alone not only the, the state of Pennsylvania, but the country did not recognize a marriage between same-sex couples. That obviously has changed in the last few years. So if you remember, Madam Register, we had this case. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, a same-sex couple were um, alleging that they were commonly law-married. Now, usually we only get the case, obviously, Madam Register, if one of the individuals has passed and the person who is remaining is saying, well, I was their spouse, so I am entitled to a certain portion of their assets. So if you remember that case, Madam Register, we had two men yep. who were together for a very long time, I think since the 60s or 70s, mm-hmm. uh, and they proved and hit all those elements, which we'll talk about in a little bit, to show that they were indeed commonly law-married. So that is something that now we do recognize, and we will accept it as we did back then in that case. And um, that is something we will look at, and that is not a factor that used to be excluded. We don't exclude that anymore. And remember, we approved that one, remember? We certainly did. So how is common law marriage different from a regular marriage? Well, the the main difference is you do not have what we call an efficient, Right a priest or someone who's entitled to marry someone by, you know, uh, some kind of a license. We don't have that in a common-law marriage. For whatever reason, these two people decided that they didn't want the paper. They did not want the paperwork. Now, as you and I both know, we always talk about best practices and what's the best thing to do. So to, to get those rights of a spouse, and there are many, many rights of a spouse in Pennsylvania and throughout the country with respect to insurances, with respect to death benefits, etc. So we always say it's best to get that piece of paper. So really, the difference between a common-law marriage and someone who's married, uh, we'll call it quote-unquote regular, would be that the couple who was married quote-unquote regular went, they came to our offices, they got the marriage license, they went to an officiant, there was a ceremony, and they were married. And not to be mistaken with the Quaker marriage, because in a Quaker marriage, you don't need the officiant there. However, you still need to apply for the license. We have so many people that believe they are in common-law marriage, and when that person dies, uh, they go to uh, claim the authority of being the next of kin, and then all of a sudden, the relatives, the blood relatives, when we say that, you know, there's no will, the blood relatives all come out and say, well, they wasn't married, and then that's where the problem comes in. And that's one of the reasons why every chance I get, I go and explain to people there are no common-law marriage, and then every audience, particularly with the older folks, they do not, they are surprised. Now, I want the listening audience to understand that's just in the state of Pennsylvania. In other, other states, you have to check to see whether or not common law of marriage still exists. And I always tell people that you need to find out uh, uh, those things before you get married, you know, whether or not common law of marriage exists, uh, where your register of will is. You need to find out the rules of the state that you live in. So, again... As of January 2nd, 2005, common law marriage has been abolished 
in Pennsylvania that means we do not recognize any common law marriage and uh, you will not be considered the next again. So let's talk about if you're in a common law marriage before January 2nd, 2005. Say, for instance, it's January 1st, 2005. You you know, believe that you were in a common law marriage, you know, what are some of the criterias um, that validate a common law marriage before January 2005? Well, to just speak before I get into that answer on the other states in this country, there are 50 states. Now, only, I did a little bit of research, only seven states in this country allow common law marriage. Now, our neighbors to the north, New Jersey, abolished common law marriage in 1939. Mm. Our neighbors to the south, Delaware, never recognized common law marriage. So we were one of the progressive states to allow it, um, and we abolished it in 2005, but we had it much longer than our neighbors to the north and to the south. So getting into your um, specific question of, uh, I guess, in essence, how are we proving a common law marriage, or how does a common law marriage get proven now, again, recognizing that this, what I'm about to tell you, has to be proven from pre-January 2005. So what are the things that we're looking at, okay? So one of the most important things that we look at and some of the things that we get into evidence-wise is the words, right? Did the couple make those or exchange those quote-unquote vows? I take you as my spouse. I take you as my spouse. Were they living together? Did they have joint bank accounts? Did they have maybe powers of attorney where they named each other as caregivers? Did they hold themselves out, introduce themselves as, this is my wife or this is my husband? Did they exchange rings? Did they celebrate anniversaries? We have that, what we call a reputation of marriage. So, in essence, if you looked at this couple, you would say, if you were an outsider, a neighbor, a friend, you would say, oh, yeah, they've been married. We thought they were married. We had no idea they were not married. So the way to prove it to us in the Register Wills office when we have these hearings is you need evidence. You need witnesses. Not only is the common law spouse going to testify, but it's always a good idea to have those backup witnesses to prove the things that we just talked about. So that's really, really important for us as the decision makers to hear that evidence. Now, if I could take just a minute to um, describe for you evidence and how it works with us. And in all courts, there are three ways to discuss evidence and three ways to prove a case. Number one is beyond the reasonable doubt. We've all heard that term in a criminal matter. If you look at a scale and you put all the evidence on one side and, and you, you balance that scale, if the, the, one of those pans in that scale hits the bottom, that's beyond the reasonable doubt. There's no doubt that the person did the crime that they're being accused of committing. The second part of uh, evidence and and, and part of the rules of evidence is in a civil case, car accident case, we have to prove what we call preponderance of the evidence, which means you take two scales, you take the pans, you put the evidence on one side, you put the evidence on the other side. If that scale tips ever so slightly, even a millimeter, then that person wins whatever it is they're trying to prove. In our case here, common law marriage, we have what's the third burden, clear and convincing evidence. So you have to prove to us all the factors that we just talked about, 
that it, it, the pan is not going to be even. It's going to be tilted, and it's going to be tilted significantly in the favor of the person who's trying to prove it. So that's what we're looking at. So let's go over that real slowly. Sure. To prove common law marriage, evidence that the parties live together, jointly signed leases, mortgages, or bills, testimony from friends and community members that they considered the couple as husband and wife, tax returns showing filing status as married, proof that the spouse designated the other as a beneficiary on life insurance and pension benefits, and joint credit applications and other certified statements showing that the couple held themselves out in marriage. So let's talk about if there's a valid common law marriage, the spouses have the same property rights as any married couple. This means that spouses are entitled to equitable distribution of property in a divorce and to a portion of the state when the other spouse dies. So let's talk about the sad side of it when you think you're in common law marriage. When you think you're in a common law marriage and you say you are been together since January 3rd of 2005. Frank, talk to them about when it comes to when they die, some of the things that happen with the estate process because a lot of people are living together, sharing bills, um, been living together for years since, you know, 19 years ago, 10 years and stuff. Tell them what happens when there is no will and you believe you're in common law marriage. Okay. That is an excellent question, Madam Register, and I think that's really the essence of our job at the Register Wills Office is to make that decision. So what happens in the state of Pennsylvania when you pass away and you do not have a will? Because all of this that I'm about to say can be rectified, can be fixed if you just did a will, okay? So now we're talking about those folks who did not do a will. They're going to allege a common law marriage. What happens when someone dies in the state of Pennsylvania without a will? We look at the laws of what we call intestacy. Basically, it's a ranking of who gets what, who stands in line, and where are you. So first things first. If you are a spouse in Pennsylvania and you have no children, no one has any children, you are a legal spouse in Pennsylvania, person dies without a will, you're legally their spouse, you get everything, every penny. That means there's no parents of the deceased, there's no children of the deceased, spouse gets everything. <clears throat> so that's very important. With respect to, excuse me, <clears throat> If you have children, it gets a little bit more complicated when we're dealing with spouses. So let's take children of the same marriage. So you're married, you have children together, you did not do a will. Well, the law says, okay, when that happens, the spouse, the living spouse, is going to get the first $30,000 and one half of whatever is left. The kids are going to get the other half. Now think about that. Think about being married with your spouse, having children, and, again, these are, we're talking about assets that the deceased owned by themselves, right? Anything else jointly is going to be in the surviving spouse's name. But when you have those assets, a car, a bank account, you have to start doing the math and doing, you know, the, the divisions as the law dictates. It gets a little bit more complicated when we're talking about 
the spouse who passed away has a children or child of another marriage and not the marriage of the union between the two, the couple. There, it's a 50-50 split. The spouse, surviving spouse gets 50%. The children, <coughs> excuse me, the children get 50%. So all of this can be changed, rectified, and finalized if you have a will. So let's get this clear. You're living not are legally married and you all have a home and one of the, the the name of the home is not in both of the names right it's just in one of the people name but they're not married right and one of them dies both of them have kids how does that go as far as the distribution of the house as far as the house is concerned, we take that asset, we add it all together to all the other assets that are held that way. But with respect to the house, the spouse who's living, and again, we're talking about a legal marriage now, the spouse that's living is going to get the first 30000 and then they're going to split the rest of the house 50-50. And that's without the so, will, correct? That's without the will. That's why we tell people you can fix all of these problems. All of these problems can be fixed. If you do a will, when you die without a will in Pennsylvania, in any state, there are consequences. And that is one of the consequences. Something that you did not intend or did not think was going to happen now happens. From a lawyer's perspective, what are the three burdens of proof? We talked about that a few minutes ago. Um, When we're talking about burdens of proof, again, civil cases are different than criminal cases are different than some uh, cases like common law marriage. So in the civil case, it's that scale tipping ever so slightly in the favor of the person who's trying to prove it. So car accident case, you had a stop sign, the other guy had a stop sign, you talk about what you did, he talks about what he did. If you put the testimony on both sides of the scale, and that scale tips ever so slightly in favor of the person who was hit by the car, then they win that point. That point, that's theirs. The second most popular one that we hear about on TV all the time is beyond a reasonable doubt. That's when we talk about in a criminal case, to put someone in jail and to keep them in jail for a very long time, the government has to prove beyond a reasonable doubt. And that's when we look at that scale again, right? We put the two pans on the scale. That scale, that pan that the government is proving their evidence, that's got to hit the bottom of the floor. That's got to be at the very bottom. There's no doubt the government has proven their case beyond the reasonable doubt. In our case, when we're talking about common law marriage, we talk about what we call um, the, um, the specifically the clear and convincing evidence standard, which is you talk about those two pans now. That pan, if you're proven common law marriage, you've got to tip that pan a lot. Mm-hmm. Right? It doesn't have to be at the very, doesn't have to be at the very bottom, but you've got to prove to us that you did cohabitate and live together, that you did hold each other out of spouses, that you had witnesses that are going to come in and say, yes, um, you know, these folks held themselves out. They did. They celebrated anniversaries. They signed a wedding. They signed Christmas cards, mom and dad, you know, or, or, or you know, uh, Mr. and Mrs., that kind of stuff. So that's the evidence we look at, and those are the three types of uh, evidence uh, here in Pennsylvania. So... The kinds of currently legally being in a common law marriage, some of them are not being fully universal recognition as 
you might not enjoy the same legal right or protections. In other words, if you're living in a common law marriage, you best believe the family of the person that's not died, they know you're not married. And what is the first, some of the first things they do, uh, partner, in your professional experience, Frank? I'm sorry. Answer the question again, Madam Esther. Like, what are some of the things that we see in the courtrooms that happen when you're in a oh. common law marriage and you believe that, you yeah. know, you were in a common law marriage and you say the kids was never around? What are some of the things we see in the courtroom, some of the things the family do? Yeah, typically what you're going to see, uh, we have two sides of this, obviously, the spouse or the alleged spouse who's claiming they're commonly law married. And on the other side, you may have siblings of the deceased or children of the deceased. And the argument really is about money, right? It's all about who is going to inherit from the deceased. Now, sometimes some of the cases we've had, Madam Register, we're talking about a significant amount of money, Mm -hmm. you know, six and seven, six and seven figures, big money Mm -hmm. here that you would think that these folks would have taken the time to do the right thing uh, and, and have a will. They did not. So now the argument becomes who steps into the shoes of the deceased. We talked about that line of intestacy, right? Yep. So if, there's, if there is no spouse, then the two brothers, who are the surviving heirs, get everything. everything. So it becomes a very, very big thing between the two couples, that are the two sides that are arguing in front of us, right, as to who is going to win that case. Are the two brothers going to win who haven't seen the deceased in 30 years, haven't had any communication with him in 30 years, haven't been to dinner or have, have, have celebrated no holidays? Are those two brothers going to get everything because this common-law spouse cannot prove their case? It's a heavy burden for us, and we take it very seriously, but that's our job. So, and it gets very ugly. I mean, I've, I've seen crying, I'm break, breaking, it's, it gets very ugly because people think that they were in common law married, and it's, I've seen where they're not allowed to come to the funeral, they're not allowed to identify the body, they definitely not allowed to, and power of attorney is not going to work because power of attorney ceases once the person dies. So you you can't even say, well, I'm the power attorney. Now, I get a lot of questions from uh, uh, Muslims uh, about their religious ceremonies, like the Nika, um, without a marriage license. Um, And a lot of them have argued or believed that the Nika marriages are considered, um, in Pennsylvania, they're considered valid. Talk to them about the Nika marriage. Well, again, it's the same burden of proof that we would use for any marriage, right? Whether or not it's a Muslim marriage or any other marriage, you still have to prove to us those factors we talked about a few moments ago, okay? Now, with the the Mika marriage, you have declared you're wanting to be married to a particular person, typically in front of other folks, right? So that's a big thing. For us, I remember in law school uh, addressing this topic because it was a very interesting topic in law school. And really the main thing, if I recall specifically, it's been quite a while, over 34 years, it's been a while, but I remember specifically the professor saying the magic words. If you exchange those magic words and other people are there to hear it, you're in pretty good shape. You say in front of other people I take you as my spouse. That's all you had to do. 
back in pre-2005, pre-January 2005, you used those magic words in front of everyone. You had a little quote-unquote ceremony in your backyard. You celebrate your anniversaries, et cetera, et cetera. Those magic words, I take you. So in the Muslim faith, if they're indeed doing that, exchanging those vows in front of numerous other people, then I would argue that's certainly evidence that's going to tip that scale pretty heavily in their favor. However, that has to have been done before January of 2005. We're going on 19 years now, Madam Register. So it's getting harder and harder to prove these cases because these couples want to come to us because they had that ceremony in 2010. I'm sorry, you've missed the boat. So it's unfortunate. And there's so many ways to rectify the situation, right? As you know, get married, number one, you can certainly do that. If you're making that vow in front of people that you're married, just come down and see us and get the paperwork. Or do a will, which is and that was the thing that we talk about the most. And that's what I wanted to ask you, too. What if you don't want to get married? Couples don't want to get married if one of them pass. How do they transfer that property? Well, you can transfer a property. If you don't do a will, there's other ways to transfer a property, right? So there's a deed. So if you have a deed to a home and you're living at 123 Main Street and you bought that home when you were, you know, 22 years old and you've been with this woman for, I have a case right now, Madam Register, they were together 53 years mm-hmm. and not married. And they live in New Jersey. I practice law in Pennsylvania and New Jersey. New Jersey hasn't recognized it in forever. So one, there are two properties, one in Pennsylvania where he owned it by himself and one in New Jersey where they owned it together. So the one in New Jersey, she's going to get. The one in Pennsylvania, she doesn't get, goes to his brother, who they haven't spoken in close to 30 years. So I'm talking from experience here. So typically, when you're dealing with deeds and, and property, you can change the deed. That's one way to transfer a property. Another way to transfer it, like a bank account, is to just add your quote-unquote spouse to that account. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can name these folks. Uh, that's another way to do it. Uh, beneficiaries. If you have stocks or bonds or mutual funds, name them as a beneficiary. Pension plans, name the individual as a beneficiary. And then they're going to get that asset regardless of whether they were commonly law married or not. So there are ways to kind of pass that asset along to your quote-unquote spouse if you are not legally married. So if you want to get married, come down to our office, uh, City Hall Room 414, And please understand this, too. Another law just passed here. As of 2020, you must be 18 years of age to get married. Frank, tell them how to get in contact with you. If you wish to uh, discuss any of these topics with me, you can certainly call my offices at 215-731-1414. 215-731-1414. I'd be happy to answer any of the questions or discuss any of these issues that have come up uh, in uh, this morning's show. If you want to email us, you can email us at rowonline at phila.gov. Again, our phone number is 215-686-6250. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube at PHLROW. Stay tuned next week when we will have attorney Maureen Farrell on the show to talk about wills and wellness. And please, please, Make sure you make the will, because when you make the will, 
Your family keeps the power. Make sure you do right by your family. Again, my name is Tracy Gordon. I'm the Register of Wills and Clerk of Orphans Court here in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Have a nice day. Thanks for listening to Willpower with the Honorable Tracy L. Gordon. 